Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July weekend to all of you. Uh, good to be with you. I don't know if you know this, but there is a fireworks shortage. Uh, and so I was looking for like, was that a good thing? Did somebody clap about that? I don't know if that's, I mean, maybe that's good for Arizona, but I was like looking like we could go watch fireworks. Like it's really limited this year. It's kind of a bummer if you're looking for that, but I'm glad to be with you on this long three-day weekend. You are the faithful remnant uh, on 4th of July weekend, so uh, pat yourself on the back. You made it to church this weekend. Many people I know are out of the heat and whatever, but we we are the true faithful. We really are, yeah, to stay here. So um, how many of you Zoomed out this week? Anybody do that? A couple of you? Does anybody remember anything I talked about last week? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we talked about it. If you weren't here, I apologize. That's not you, but you know, we talked about zooming out on those bad days that come out. Uh, I had this moment yesterday. Uh, I was talking to my wife on the phone, and I was complaining, and I was complaining, and I was complaining. And she said, you know, Ryan, I think you need to zoom out. And um, I, I hate to admit it, but she was absolutely right. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it was exactly what I needed to do in that moment. I, I was so focused on these little things that ultimately just didn't matter right? I know you never do that, but like for me, that's a problem. And so that promise to zoom out that we talked about last week was just so prevalent in my life today. And it was just a revelation to me that, you know, what we talk about on Sunday, it really does make a difference when we apply it in our lives. And so I hope that that will be true for you this morning. Well, we, as DJ said, are back in the book of Acts after a brief hiatus in one of our most beloved series of the year, the, the Summer Jam series. Back in January, we began making our way through this very large book, uh, one of the largest books in the New Testament. And uh, we know it's going to take us a while. We're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in chapter 5. We, we stopped about halfway through chapter 5. We're going to jump back into chapter 5 today. So if you have your phone with you, uh, utilize that great app we call YouVersion and follow along with everything we're going to do. By the way, just go to More and then Events. You'll see Genesis Church listed Click on that, and you'll be able to see everything we're going to read today and follow along really easily that way. So the book of Acts, up to this point in the book of Acts, a lot has happened. We're only five chapters in, but a lot has happened. After Jesus' resurrection, he appears to hundreds of his first followers, including his very closest followers, the disciples. He, he appears to them, he eats with them, he talks with them, he hangs out with them. And then it tells, he tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I want you now to go and take the same message that I have brought to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. He also promises them that they will receive a helper to do this, a spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of God himself to guide and lead them as they witness to the world about who Jesus is and what he did. So days later, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They go into the streets of Jerusalem and they start telling people about Jesus in their native tongues. At the time, there's a giant festival they're celebrating and people from all over the known world are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate that. And so these first followers, they just start speaking these languages they don't even know so that those who are there can understand who God is, what he's done through Jesus Christ. And thousands, the Bible says, come to faith in Jesus on that day. From there, uh, the apostles begin to perform miracles. They continue to tell more people about Jesus all throughout the known area. 
People travel from great distances to come and to be near the apostles. They bring their sick and their crippled and their disease to give to the the apostles to be healed and, and miracle after miracle is performed and more people come into this fold of this thing they're calling the way. It doesn't even have the name, the church yet. They're just calling it the way, the way of Jesus. And this church community begins to take shape as they worship together and share communion together and share their resources with each other generously. Now, of course, and this is true historically, not just in first century Jerusalem, anytime there is a movement that starts to disrupt the status quo, it isn't lost on those who are in power. And the religious leaders of the day, those who are in power in first century Jerusalem, are not lost of what is going on with this new group of ragtag followers of Jesus. This, this high council that's been established, which is often referred to as the Sanhedrin in the Bible, it's composed of both Pharisees and Sadducees and other sects of which in the Jewish tradition, they've come together to form this high council, and they are the authorities on all matters of faith and life within the Jewish culture. They're responsible for ensuring that the Jewish faith and the Jewish traditions are held to the highest standards by Jews in the area. They're the authority on God, faith, and the scriptures. Which means that when something threatens their authority, they have to take action to extinguish it. It's part of what they believe is their job, which is exactly what they decide to do with this new movement that's happening in the city of Jerusalem. After Peter and John perform miracles in the shadow of the temple, the high council decides we're going to arrest these men. They're causing havoc. They're they're claiming to have authority that they do not have. And so they arrest them and they put them in jail and they put them on trial only to release them days later because they didn't really have any real reason for arresting them. And they have this movement happening where people are upset now that Peter and John are being on trial for something they think is beautiful and wonderful. So they let them go. And they just tell them, hey, listen, just stop talking about this person named Jesus. Well, what did Peter and John do? They go back inside the temple and they start talking about Jesus again. So in chapter 5, The apostles are arrested again. They're thrown into jail for continuing to do what the high council didn't want them to do, talking about Jesus. But an angel breaks them out of the jail while everybody's sleeping, and the council is surprised to again find them talking about Jesus in the temple. These guys are relentless. They will not listen. The Sanhedrin is ticked. Their authority is being cut off at the knees by these guys. There seems to be no respect for their authority. So again, they decide we got to do something about these guys. So they do it again. The temple guards arrest the apostles. Again, not only do they arrest Peter and John, but they arrest all of the apostles this time, which is where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Here's how Luke, the author of the book of Acts, starts this section. It says, then they brought the apostles before the high council. Before it was just Peter and John. Now they're bringing all of them, right? All 12 of them. Where the high priest confronted them. Now the high priest is the leader of the Sanhedrin, this high council. And so he's going to let him have it. It doesn't say in the past much about the high priest, but he's stepping in now 
and he's going to let them have it. Verse 28, the high priest says, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Again, the high council is the leading authority in the Jewish world in the first century. On the high council, there were about 70 men from different Jewish groups, like I mentioned, from the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Pharisees, and there was the high priest of the temple who sort of led this group. And anything and everything that a good Jew was supposed to be and do was approved, taught, or condemned by this high council. They held all of the power, and they were not afraid to wield it if they had to, especially when their power and their authority was threatened. This time, the third time, they've been arrested, and they've now arrested uh, the apostles in an attempt again to just shut them up. Look, we're not, a, you know, we're not against healing. We're not against people you know, coming to the temple and worship. We just want you to stop talking about Jesus. You know, they can meet and they can share their resources and they can perform healings. They can do all of that. Just stop talking about Jesus. Now, listen, we're only like a few weeks removed from Jesus' death. So it's not like these, these guys on the high council don't know who Jesus is. They know exactly who Jesus is. And they've heard these rumors that Jesus is no longer in a tomb, that he rose again from the dead. I mean, things are just getting out of hand. And they're just thinking, look, if we could get these guys to stop talking about Jesus and just go back to the way it was, this thing will settle down. Now look at, notice this. They're so sick and tired of hearing about Jesus, they won't even say his name. Did you notice that? He says, we give you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. They won't even say the name Jesus. They're just like so upset and disgusted that they keep talking about Jesus. And they go on, instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want us to make, you want to make us responsible for his death. I mean, look, the high council is not lost on who Jesus is. They were, after all, the ones who brought him before Pilate to be killed only weeks earlier. You could see this frustration brewing in them as they realized sentencing Jesus to death has only caused more disruption than good for them. They were hoping that by putting him to death, it would end this whole thing. But instead, it has caused more problems for them. And to top it all off, they're just so sick and tired of hearing that these group of followers from Jesus keep blaming them for Jesus' death. They keep going around telling people, oh, by the way, you know who killed Jesus? It was these people in the high council. They're responsible for this. Now, to be fair, the Jewish high council may have handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, but they alone are not responsible for Jesus' death. From a theological standpoint, we're all responsible for Jesus' death. After all, it was our sin that sent him there. It was an act of divine love on his part that Jesus willingly went to the cross for the forgiveness of of sin. So yes, the high council sent him there in a physical sense, but we've all sent him there in a spiritual sense. And, and quite honestly, it wasn't even that we sent him there. He decided, 
I'm going there for you. Nevertheless, the Jewish high council is not happy that they keep getting blamed for Jesus' death. They don't see any of this theology in what is going on, right? Like they have their own theology, which is that they eradicated a revolutionary. But the, the apostles see, no, 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 you don't understand. Jesus' death wasn't just the end of him. It was just the beginning. And what happened on the cross changes everything for every person in all of history. Which is why they decide, we're going to give you one more chance. And they give them strict orders to stop talking about Jesus or him, as they would say. So the apostles respond. All right, enough's enough, we'll stop. We'll just go back to our houses and we'll live a peaceful life. You know, we've caused enough problems, we get it. You guys wield a lot of power. You know what, like I got, I got to put food on the table, I got things to do, like, all right, we've had our fun, we'll just go home. Thank God that's not what happened, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiveness. We are witnesses, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, be my witnesses. They're saying, we're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit that guides us, who's given by God to those who obey him. Look, the high council, they just want them to obey him, right? They just want, they want the apostles, just do what we say. Just do what we ask. When they tell them to stop talking about Jesus, they just expect it to happen. They're the authority in first century Jerusalem. They deal with this kind of thing all the time. And what they say goes. When they tell people, stop doing this, people stop doing it. This is not what happens with the apostles. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a court before, um, but it's pretty intimidating. I, uh, fortunately, have not been in court but one time, right? And it was for good reasons, not because, you know, for bad reasons. When we adopted our daughter from Ethiopia, we had to go to court to finalize her adoption in America. And I can very distinctly remember walking into this courtroom, which I'd seen on TV, right? We've all seen courtrooms on TV, but I'd never been in one physically. And uh, it was just sort of it was this empty courtroom. And up at the front was this big bench, much higher than we were standing. And the, 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 uh, the judge was sitting there. And it was, very, it was very clear who the judge was because he was wearing this very fancy robe, right? A black robe. And he had like a hammer he could hit things with. And it was all very official. And he was, you know, he, he was up on top and, like, he made a judgment that day on our daughter being an American. And it was a beautiful moment. But that room, man, that room was set up to intimidate. I mean, there, there, there is no, there's no, you know, fudging the facts about the fact that the judge is at a higher level for a very good reason. They, they want you to know, I'm in authority here. I am not on the same level as you right now. I am in authority. And this is the same situation the apostles are facing. Only there isn't just one judge, there's 70 of them. And instead of celebrating the adoption of my little girl, 
they're facing their own death. And so nobody would have blamed them if they would have said, okay, we get it, we'll calm down, we're sorry, we can just go back to our homes now, right? I mean, that's kind of what we want to do if we're ever in that situation in a bad way. We want to tell the judge, look, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, you know, just let me off with a slap on the wrist. Like, that's what we want the judgment to be. So nobody would have blamed them if that's what they would have done. But instead, they say to them, we must obey God rather than any human authority. I mean, that, if you're on the Sanhedrin, I mean, your face just turned red. Because who's the human authority here? The high council. And then, if that weren't enough, they follow it up by, again, blaming these men for the sentencing of Jesus to death and claiming themselves as his witnesses. In other words, the apostles are willing, listen, the apostles are willing to respect the laws of the land and abide by the rules and be peaceful citizens. But when it comes to restricting their faith, that's where they draw the line. Jesus has told them to be his witnesses throughout Jerusalem. And he, not the high council, they have decided is their ultimate authority. They will pay their taxes. They will be peaceful citizens. They won't look for trouble to make. I mean, Paul talks about this uh, throughout the New Testament on our behalf, to, to obey the authorities that have been placed in our respective countries and communities. Like, we're called to do that, to be peaceful members of our world and our communities. Romans chapter 13 talks about this extensively. But when it comes to extinguishing the apostles' faith, they only answer to one authority. And I don't really think it's a coincidence that this text comes to us right now. Because it forces us to ask ourselves this question. Who is the authority? Are we people who submit to the authority of our Creator or are we just simply submitting to the plethora of authorities vying for our attention in this world when it comes into conflict with our message and faith? Is Jesus the ultimate authority in your life? Or have you maybe bought into the cultural narrative that you're your own authority? Is Jesus influencing your world? Or are the political leaders and social media influences of our day taking charge in your life? Are God's words guiding your daily decisions and choices? Or are you allowing the winds of the culture to blow you whatever direction it feels best? Even the church, listen, even the church historically has gotten this wrong. On more than one occasion, more than dozens of occasions, the church has behaved like the high council. And so as a church, it, it, do we claim Jesus as our ultimate authority? And you know, over history, it's taken brave men and women to stand in the...
look, again, like, you know, God has established like decorum in our world. And, and there are places where we as Christians are called, there's a tension in this, right? Where we're called to, to submit to the authority within our world. Like we're just submit to, to the authorities in, in our, you know, if a cop pulls us over and, you know, we've been driving 90 down 32nd Street, like it's our, we have a role to, well, we shouldn't have been driving 90. Don't do that, okay? But, you know, we have a role to, to play in that. And when you go to work and you have a boss, you have a role to play in that, to submit to their authority. But when your faith is on the line, your integrity is on the line, the word of God is on the line. We only answer to one ultimate authority. You know, the, the apostles are answering all those questions I just asked for the high council in Acts chapter 5. They're doing this by saying we must obey God rather than human authority. They're declaring Jesus is the ultimate authority in our lives. Look, we will respect the laws of this land. We will respect the people that God has placed into leadership in our world and in our communities, we'll pay our taxes, we'll abide as peaceful citizens, but as soon as you tell us we can't speak of Jesus, I can't do it because I answer to an ultimate authority, God himself. This should cause us pause and cause us to ask ourselves, who is the ultimate authority in my life? Is it me? Because can we just agree, if you're the ultimate authority in your own life, it's going to cause problems. I'm sorry, but you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. It only takes about 10 minutes of living to realize you don't have all the answers. Who's the ultimate authority in your life? You know, as I mentioned earlier, that culture and cultural narrative that we listen to all of the time in our world, it would say that the ultimate authority is you. You're in charge of your life. You can do what you want. You can be what you want. You can, you know, be whatever you want to be. You can believe whatever you want. But the biblical narrative says it's Jesus who's ultimate. Colossians chapter 1 says that it, it's Jesus through which everything was made and everything is held together. So here's the deal. Whether we declare Jesus as our ultimate authority or not, he's the ultimate authority. There is no choice in the matter from a biblical perspective. Now, there's freedom for us to decide, but when we decide, look at Jesus, you are the ultimate authority. You are who you say you are. Well, then we receive the blessings that come from a new relationship with him where he rules and he reigns in and through our lives. Are we to be respectful and peaceful in our world? Of course, and loving and kind, of course. But when our faith is put on trial, as the apostles learn early in their life, we answer to only one authority, Jesus. And you know, I'll be honest, I'm concerned that we followers of Jesus have lost sight of who our ultimate authority is. You know, there are a lot of outspoken Christians who are really loud about their faith, and I don't believe the ultimate authority is Jesus in them. I think they have an agenda they're trying to run. And then on the other side, we have people who won't say a word about Jesus or talk about their faith. They don't want to offend anybody. 
And I wonder, is the ultimate authority in your life Jesus? Because if the ultimate authority in your life is Jesus, then you ought to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness and kindness and patience, self-control, love. But we should also be people who can't help ourselves with talk about Jesus. Because when Jesus is at the ultimate in our lives, we experience the goodness of his love. And there's nothing better than that. We experience the forgiveness of our sins. We experience the healing of our past, the healing of our shame. We experience the beauty of seeing his kingdom go forward in the world when he is ultimate in our lives and in our church. We become a blessing to this world, to our community, to your workplace, to your family. And, I'm honest, and if I'm being honest, I'm concerned we've lost sight of who the ultimate authority is. It's so easy to get caught up in the, you know, the cultural and political narratives of our day. 24-hour news channels, constant attention to social media, an ever-growing presence of pressure to swing to one group or to another group, all of which contribute to losing sight of who ultimately is in authority. There was no question in the minds of the apostles in Acts chapter 5. It, it, they didn't hesitate. It doesn't say they thought about it for five or six minutes. And they gathered together like, should we do this? Should we do this? Are you good with this? No, they just, they, this, was, this is who they were. They were fully submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to the, the authority of Jesus in their lives. So committed were they that all but one of them would die because of it. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want the honor of being crucified in the same way as Jesus in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a height, then beaten with clubs. He was thrown off a cliff and then beaten. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew was crucified and pre, uh, pre, uh, put on top of, uh, preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with arrows of an executioner. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded as was Barnabas. Paul was beheaded in Rome. And it was only John who died a natural death because they unsuccessfully tried to boil him in oil. And look, they didn't do this to make history. So that 2,000 years later, we would sit there and go, wow. They did it because they were so convinced of the person and work of Jesus it changed everything for them. And they did it because their ultimate authority was not in the government or religious organizations or cultural norms. They did it because their ultimate authority was in Jesus alone. And so let me ask you again, who is the authority in your life? Who is ultimately in control, in charge, ruling and reigning in your life? Is it you or is it your creator? Is it social media or is it Jesus? 
Is it the cultural streams, the political streams, or is it the Bible? You know, you may or may not know this, but our church actually belongs to a larger community of churches, a denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And um, the Evangelical Covenant Church started because in the uh, country of Sweden in the early 1800s, there was a high council of sorts that was telling everybody, this is what you need to do. And this brave group of young men and women went, hold on a second. You're not the ultimate authority. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And so they ended up immigrating to America and starting this new denomination whereby groups of people would come together and they would study the scriptures and they would worship together. It was a very Acts chapter 2 sort of church vibe they had going on. That's what we were birthed out of. It, it was them that decided, you know what's most important? We're going to have you know, leadership. We're going to have all of that. But in the end, every person should have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the authority on our lives are the words that he has spoken. And we're going to talk about them and we're going to create structures and do all that and be respectful. But if we ever go off script, we're going to call it out. And so there was this common question that would often arise in the early days of the ECC, which is just an acronym for their name, the ECC. And they would gather in homes and they would study the Bible, much like we do with our groups here. And so like us, th their conversations would move to very relevant topics of the day, cultural things, political things, economic issues. They would, they would talk about them and people would weigh in their opinions on these and when people would weigh in their opinions, if they didn't do it themselves, somebody would jump in and they would ask this question. Where is it written? When's the last time you asked that question of a lot of the things that you may think are right or true, a lot of the things that people say that are really convincing? Have you taken the time to say, well, hold on a second. Where is that written? You know, God has spoken to us, and he's our ultimate authority. So when we have questions, we can go to his word, to his scripture, and go, okay, well, hold on. Before we make any judgments about that thing, let's, let's ask the ultimate authority. Where is it written? What does God have to say about this? The early members of our denomination and our church wanted to always be sure that their lives were living under the authority of Jesus first. Everything they did or said or believed was backed up by and supported by his authority in Scripture first. And you know what? Almost 150 years later, we're still asking that question. Where is it written? Where is it written? We want the ultimate authority to be Jesus in our lives. You know, the world is going to cast their opinion on matters of justice and faith and morality, but our role is to simply uphold the authority of our Savior through our lives. And we may agree with those things, and we may disagree with those things, but as long as we have the ability to speak of the name of Jesus, who is our ultimate authority, that is where we should always start. And even if that ability and that right is taken away from us, 
like it was for the apostles? Will we say, we obey God and his authority above any human authority? So let me just say, if you claim Jesus to be the ultimate authority in your life, maybe it's time to look at whether that is practically true in your life or not. To take a deep look inside yourself and go, is Jesus really the ultimate authority in my life? In all areas of my life, is he ultimate? Are you looking to scriptures for answers or are you just scrolling Instagram and TikTok? Are you looking for the Holy Spirit or are you looking to Google to answer your questions? Which Google is, I don't know how we live without Google. Don't get me wrong. Are you looking to the question, where is it written? Or are you just turning on MSNBC and Fox News and hoping they have the answers? Because I'm telling you right now, they don't have all the answers. There may be no greater question for us to answer today than this one. Who is the authority in your life? Because how we answer that question not only determines our today, but it determines our future as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I believe that this is a timely message for us. I, I admit that it is, it is difficult in our day and age to sort through a lot of the rhetoric and opinion and knowing what's right and what's wrong and who's right and who's wrong. And so like the apostles, you know, we, we know we're called to be respectful, peaceful citizens, but also but we know that you have a message for us in your ultimate authority. That ultimately you are the source of all of life. And so it's my prayer today that we would turn to you again, that we would put our trust in you, that you would be our ultimate, that you would be the authority in our lives above all things. And Lord, that we would have the wisdom to discern where you're working and how you're working. And God, that when we come up against things that challenge our faith, God, that we wouldn't submit to those authorities, but instead we would continue in love, in grace, in mercy, in compassion. We would continue to submit to your authority alone. I look at the lives of the apostles. I look at the life of Jesus. And all of them lost their lives submitting to his authority. And yet, we sit here today, thousands of years later, because of their undying willingness to stand before the high council and say, we cannot stop talking about Jesus. He is ultimate. And you can take my life, and you can whip me and beat me, but you cannot take my soul and my allegiance to Jesus alone. May we be people who give our whole selves to that call. We know, God, that by doing that, the vision you have for our church to be a community of changed lives, changing lives, is possible. So today, as we sing together and pray together and listen, may we walk from this place a little higher this morning, a little more rejuvenated, knowing 
that you are ultimate, that you are trustworthy, and that even though there will come times where we may face opposition or challenge, that trusting you is always the better way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice that forgave us of our sins, that now gives us the right to be called heirs to your throne, that places us into a new relationship with you, and that through that relationship, we are experiencing new life, abundant life. May we never veer or wander from that. May you always be our ultimate authority. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.